G'day guys, I'm Aaron Schultz with episode 95 of the Outback Mind podcast. Thanks so much for joining in once again. I have another really special guest with me today, Ryan O'Keefe. Ryan, a bit of a Sydney Swans football legend, played 286 games, two times premiership player, All-Australian, lots of accolades um, as an individual uh, player, but also in that successful area with Sydney. And uh, we're going to talk a lot about that, uh, a lot about his upbringing, a lot of the the challenge that he sort of uh, faced along the way. Um, There was a bit of a a hiccup in the middle of his career with uh, him wanting to go back to Victoria and some clubs um, looking to uh, to bring him on board, but he decided to stay with Sydney and some of the mental health challenges that sort of uh, came from that and also how he sort of exited out of his career and sort of, you know, transitioned back into adult life. He's had some uh, tremendous mentors around him, Paul Ruse and and others, and, um, yeah, it'd be interesting to sort of see uh, Ryan's perspective of of men's health, of leadership, and uh, the way that he um, he manages himself, and what he actually learned from the AFL system. So, I'm sure you're going to enjoy this conversation, and uh, hopefully, you'll find it helpful in many ways. If you're looking to uh, make some changes in your life with some of Ryan's um, wisdom and advice, so I appreciate you joining in. Just want to make special mention to our primary partners, Green Nutritionals, who provide green organic superfoods. So, if your diet's lacking something. They might be able to provide uh, some good, clean uh, supplements that could uh, assist there. So please check out their website, greennutritionals.com.au. Also, Pure Life Organic Bakery, who provide organic sprouted bread. So when the grains in bread uh, are are sprouted, the digestion process in our body works a lot better. So uh, their breads are available around Australia, the healthiest healthiest breads in Australia, I believe, by a long way. So please check them out, uh, purelifebakery.com.au. Alrighty, hope you enjoy this conversation. Appreciate your feedback. Please feel free to share with others that uh, may find it helpful. Yep. Ryan O'Keefe, welcome to the Outback Mind podcast. Yeah, look, uh, great to be on. Uh, looking forward to the chat. Yeah, thanks, mate. Um, really appreciate you, you are joining in with us here. I know you've had uh, like a, a pretty good footy career and obviously we want to talk a bit about that, but also about your, your upbringing in, in Melbourne and sort of uh, how life evolved for you and you know you're doing some unbelievable work now um, uh, in the indigenous space so to be able to sort of talk a bit about that and your passion for, for giving back I think is really important mate so um, just really keen to hear about your, your, your journey as, as a young fella like you know you, you, you from Melbourne or Bendigo way originally? Uh, no, I'm from I'm from Melbourne. I sort of grew up in uh, yeah the sub- suburbs of, of Melbourne. Uh, my my dad's from um, down near Warrnambool Way, a little town called Winslow. He's yeah. from a, a dairy farm, so not he, you know played footy at Caroit and yeah. he made his way to, to Melbourne. Um, you know with Fitzroy because that was the the zone for Fitzroy back in the day. And yeah, yeah, and. Um, yeah, met my met my mum while he's working at a pub because my mum's family's publican. So <laughs> um, yeah, so I was I was born in a pub <laughs> first first couple of years um, in the pub in Coburg. So um, but yeah, grew up in Melbourne and had a pretty yeah pretty pretty standard sort of sort of up, up upbringing. You know, just, I was just the kid that loved sport and played all sorts of sports and riding my bikes and mm. doing all the stuff that kids do and always out and about. Um, yeah, can never 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 uh, sit sit still. So yeah, they would have called uh, that ADHD back then, and I reckon I had the same thing. 
<laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. I just think I just as all active boys, I've got a son yeah. myself, and yeah. he's the same. And even my daughter just loved being active. I think you, I don't know. I think that's the type of person and all type of upbringing when you've been encouraged just to get out and play and do stuff and yeah. and be creative. And and I think that's it's great. I think it creates, um, yeah, really creative thinking and being independent and stuff. And probably a little bit of a side note here. Like I think during this sort of current lockdown situation we're in at the moment, um, a lot of the kids have, um, I know here they're doing their homeschool, but once they're finishing, they're getting out and they're, they're being kids and they're playing in the streets and they're riding their bikes and being creative and just learning to, you know, think for themselves and build that independence. And I think that's, I was pretty lucky in my, in growing up that I was able to do that, you know, get out and ride bikes, ride to school and, you know, play all sorts of sports and was encouraged just to, to get outdoors and, and be a kid. Yeah, awesome. That, a lot of that would have come from your dad uh, back there, mate. My old man's from down that way too, and I had uh, rallies that played uh, footy for Croyd from um, uh, sort of Allensford, but also uh, Walsorp, um, which is sort of not far from there. And uh, Yeah, yeah Walsorp's of... right near Winslow, so yeah. right next door. So, yeah, yeah. that's it. There yeah. you go. Unreal. And uh, yeah, I spent a bit of time down there when I was a young fella and, yeah, you would have probably got back there a bit when you were when you were going back to see family and so forth as well. Yeah, and that's what I was. I might bring a love that every every school holidays were down to the farm, the grandparents' dairy farm, and we spent all our school holidays there. You know, getting up, and helping pop milk, milk the cows, and riding motorbikes and cutting hay, and yeah, you know, just doing all the stuff you get to do on the property, which I I thought was really good because I had best of both worlds i had the country life and doing all that fun stuff that you can do there but then also had growing up in the, in the city and, and and you know learning the tough streets of the city and going up in melbourne and how to navigate that but also the country life so i thought i had a pretty pretty lucky upbringing in terms of that to be, have a lot of you know life experience you would have had a few hamburgers at kerman's i would have thought <laughs> a couple one or two <laughs> <laughs> Unreal. That, that's still going, that place, you know. It's been there for like 70 or 80 years. So it's uh, yeah, pretty it's incredible. Yeah. yeah, it is, mate. Oh, yeah. Yeah, our diets, like yours and my diets, probably changed a bit from then, but uh, they were pretty good when we were young fellas, that's for sure. So Yeah, definitely. So, definitely. Mate, you, uh, you obviously, you, I know you, you've always had a, well, not always, but you've had a fairly significant amount of self-discipline through your, your footy career. So when you were transitioning uh, through the Calder Cannons and uh, and so forth, um, you know, uh, how was that sort of evolving for you? Did you sort of get picked up fairly early at a young age or did you uh, have to sort of do it the hard way? Yeah, not so much the hard way, but I was never guaranteed. And like, I was I was talented in the, in the juniors. I went in league best and first and, you know, always best and first and playing in premiership teams and stuff like that. But... I was sort of going through when I was in that draft period in the in the under eighteen cop. I was going through that period where they were looking at these athletes for draft. You know, where can we find the next two hundred centimeter? Mm. You know, athletic. You know, ex Olympian sort of um, yeah. draft picks. That's they were going along that that line, and I didn't fit in. There. I was just a footballer. Like I, I, I had good endurance. I did come from a, a like a cross country athletic sort of background, but I wasn't, you know, a phenomenal athlete in terms of that. But I was just the good old-fashioned footballer, you know, read the game, you know, could, could play the game and stuff like that. So I had to really – I wasn't a guaranteed. So I, I remember I always had to work hard. I went and did extra – had an extra running and fitness coach in my, my final year under 18s and made sure I did everything right. And 
you know, sacrifice going out when my mates at school were doing all that sort of stuff. So I had to, I, I had to work hard for it. And, yeah, I, I didn't get picked up to pick 56 or was that round three or whatever it was. So, um, yeah, I got in, I got drafted, which is obviously a great thing, but it was never a guarantee. So I never took it for granted. I always made sure I worked hard for it. Mm, yeah, yeah, good to hear. Tell me, um, so you would have been... Uh, was that is that two thousand and two or three that you got drafted uh, originally? No, it was, it was 90, 99 draft. Ninety nine, right? Was. Okay, yep, yeah, yeah. Right. okay. Um, it was actually a pretty solid draft, and some of the players that have come out out of that year, you know, they've been premiership players on terms. So, like, you know, for example, that year is like Matthew Pavlich, Jonathan Brown, mm, you know, yeah. um, Cameron Ling, uh, uh, was it? Joel Corey, Paul Chapman at Geelong, uh, yeah. Daniel Jean Syracuse, Robert Murphy. Um, was it, there, was, there was a fair few of us that you know had pretty good careers coming out of that out of that draft. Um, yeah. So it was pretty pretty competitive did draft you, that year. I was going to say, did you play in like the state team, uh, the Vic uh, Metro side back then? Because that would have been pretty strong, I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah, played played in that, and we lost in the final to WA by point. I mean, they having that team. They had like Paul Hazelby, Chance Bateman, um, Scotty Stevens, Hunter. They had a fair few players out of that. Yeah, so yeah, I played. I, I played in that. I, I did play those um, as representative teams. Yeah, yeah, going going through the whole program. Unreal. I was. I had in the back of my mind. It was around the same year that Buddy Franklin that went. That you. Uh, you got picked up, so it was earlier than that. That's that's good to know. Yeah, a bit older. Yeah, a bit older than that. Yeah. So, what was it like coming out of Melbourne and having to like get on a plane and go to another another city? Yeah, look, I, I didn't care. I really didn't care where I went. I just wanted to play. So I just wanted to. I didn't wherever wherever it took me. I was, I was ready for that for that journey. So, um, when my name got picked up from Sydney, I was like, awesome. This is great. And I think I was on the plane the next day, and bang, I was up here, and I was lucky enough to. Um, no, Jude Bolton, who got drafted the year before, and he played with me at the Cannons, so I knew, I knew Jude really well. So I, at least I had that someone I knew. Um, and the Swans being, you know, everyone had had to relocate to Sydney. The, the bunch of guys were fantastic, really welcoming, and yeah, made me f- feel at home right away. So yeah, I, I loved it. I just said I was happy. I was doing my. I got to where I wanted to be in terms of you know dream as a career as a footballer and. Yeah, I, I embraced the move. Who was the coach when you arrived? Uh, Rodney Eid was the coach when I arrived. Yeah. Um, he was there for a couple of years till he was uh, till he finished till he finished off. So um, and yeah, like, it, it probably wasn't the most enjoyable period of my football career that those early on years under under his um, leadership. Mm. Um, he had a certain way he went about it and. Probably wasn't conducive to development, to to be fair. So it was, um, yeah, it was just one of those times. It was, it was really, really tough. It was very really that old school sort of mentality that just you know mm. made the older. You know, if you're the superstar, you looked after. But if you're the young and that, you know, didn't give you much and really didn't give you much confidence. And you know, doubt and all that sort of stuff, and had a real ne- sort of you know negative feel to it. Um, so yeah, it was probably you know tough sort of trying to find your feet in a in a new city and a career with some established you know champions. Yeah, Paul Kelly, Andrew Dunkley, Wayne Schwartz, Darren Creswell, these guys are established players, and 
when you felt like there wasn't a huge amount of development put into you, it was like, oh, am, I, am I ever going to get there? So, yeah, yeah that, that didn't really change till Ruzi took over. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk about that in a tick, but you wouldn't have known much about, like, depression or anything back then, but do you think you might have had moments of, of that uh, when you were, I suppose, uh, a little bit unsure? Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, now that I'm, I know about it and, and the continuum you work, you know, your mental continuum where you, you know, you're coping, struggling and thriving and that sort of thing. Now what I know, de- definitely, and I think everyone goes through that every day. Um, it's it's, it's a, something that back then it was no way was spoken about or no way recognised or made any awareness of it or even appreciated, you know, the, the challenges that you know p- people go through, uh, especially in that competitive, high-pressured environment of elite sport, where yeah. I think the pressures you know magnified you know by a hundredfold. Yeah. Um, so yeah, look, I, d- definitely. Um, so in terms of how you dealt with it back then, yeah, probably I think people were just trying to do anything they could to sort of get through any tough situation that came across them. Yeah, interesting. Um, look, I think it worked out really well for you that you had uh, the leadership that you had with Rodney and then obviously to be able to move into someone like Paul Ruse who's more of a heart-based leader that was actually uh, able to you know, uh, see uh, everyone uh, as unique and an individual as unique and be able to get the best out of them uh, would have been a real turning point for you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, that, that's what that was the strength of Ruzi. He, he knew how to get the best out of each individual. He knew what to say. He knew he knew what motivated him. How to you know what buttons to press, and um, that that's, that that was the strength of his coaching. And like it wasn't that he was this superior tactician or this you know made up this magic game plan or anything like that. It was just how he knew how to get the best out of the people around him and create an environment that was safe. Mm. And 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 made people th- thrive. So yeah, once he took over, it was a huge transformation in the club. Um, and he was always big about getting good people and the right people in the club. You know, not not just on their ability, but if they are a good person and everyone on the same page. Yeah, certainly you're hitting the key word there, being safe, and and that's the missing link, I believe in. In uh, the workplace, in schools, uh, in um, uh, you know, in sporting clubs, sometimes because we feel we we feel sort of unsure of ourselves uh, primarily, and I guess we um, you know where where we're always waiting for something to happen. We're very reactive, but if you can be nurtured by a leader that's really got your back and is supportive of you as an individual, not just a, you know a, a person performing a role then uh, that can have a real significant impact on, on your growth. Would you agree? Oh, definitely. And, and I think that's safe. And it, it's a societal thing now. Like you look at it and I think people uh, are not confident or not safe or cr- more criticised for not being who they are. Yes. Any difference they've got. And it's almost like everyone has to conform to be the same thing and have the same beliefs. And, like, you can see it during this current climate we are in the moment. It's like... If someone's got a different opinion or thinks slightly different or acts different or if they're not part of the herd, they're almost ridiculed and bullied yeah. into something. And it's yeah. it's something that's, I think, a, a bigger issue than in sporting clubs. Mm. Um, and that's why I think when people find safe environments or 
or they'll join clubs or they're part of organisations that are safe environments and nurture differences and nurture people being who they are. People thrive. Absolutely. And I think and, and I think that is very much under under undervalued in society. Yeah, agree, mate. Uh, everyone everyone is really unique uh, at the end of the day, but we're sort of put into a funnel where uh, we're expected to be compliant in many ways, and that doesn't really agree uh you know with everyone and you know i just think that that as individuals uh we are we are unique as i said but but a lot a lot more conscious than than what we're sort of um you know we're we're conditioned to uh to 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 be you know at the end of the day you you would have uh, some some pretty good self-awareness this is where what paul probably taught you um was was able to resonate with you but when you sort of been pushed in another direction, which is away from your alignment, it can really affect um, you know, your, your balance. And I just think that's where uh, we're having some mental health challenges at the moment because people are being directed away from their real selves. Yeah, exactly. Or um, And it's, it's amazing how much, uh, as a human species, we are a community base. You know, we're designed and evolved to be community, be attached to people and connected. And when you see at the moment when people aren't and, and they're being forced not to mm. meet and, and socialise and mix, it's very tough mentally. And I can I, I can only imagine that people that aren't very self-aware or haven't had the tools or the, the experience on how to, to work through some of these things, they'll be going through some really, really, um, you know, they'll be in some dark holes and, and going through some really bad experiences. So yeah. I think that's that, that's important when you are part of a, a football club or an organisation or, you know, a community group or whatever, that you have those connections and you help each other and you lean on each other and you support each other. And I think that's a, that's a huge thing for people's mental health. Yeah, it's the innate human nature that we that we all, all know. You know, I just think we've just been divided by the pathway that society sort of lays out for us but we all we all are coming to life from the heart when we're young fellas you know we we all have this uh you know caring nature primarily to be able to look after one another and support one another but we just become divided and separated from that but it's always there ryan you know i just think we we've got a responsibility to be able to help others um reconnect to that and you know be more connected vertically than horizontally sometimes as well we sort of I'm missing the, the point on what um, what we're meant to be doing here as humans. You know, we're not just here to, you know, earn money and uh, and and you know consume and, and die. I think we've got so much more potential than that. And I think it's a little bit about um, and this yeah, really like with uh, Rosie when we're all on the same page. We all had a purpose, and when people have have a purpose in life. Um, it helps motivate, it helps them put them in the right direction, gives them some clarity, gives them something to work towards. And, and that, that's what I think I've valued and took a lot of lessons out of, uh, you know, being involved in an elite sporting team. And a, and a good one um, was about having some purpose and, and what drives you and, and ha- having like-minded people that want to come on that journey with you and working together. And when you do achieve that goal, how fulfilling it is for you and mm. to be able to share that with people is so rewarding. Yeah, how how refreshing was it when that new coaching model came in um, and did it take you long as an individual yourself to embrace it but did it take long as the, as the team to be able to sort of, you know, follow what Paul was trying to do? No, it, it was amazing. It, it almost flicked overnight. Like he took over halfway through 2000 and... So 2002, I think it took, yeah, it took over halfway through 2000. Plus. So we had the last 10 games 
and I think we won nine of the last ten. Yeah, like it was, and that, and that's when there was a bit of a during that period of time. You know, the Swans signed up, had Terry Wallace lined up to to be the head coach, but there was a bit of a, you know, a, not a protest, but a petition for members, and that had really, you know, become the head coach. And then when he did, we made the prelim final that that first year he was official coach. Yeah, and it's it's kind of I sort of can't. It just happened, and we just all fell in sync. Um, and I don't know, I can't think of any. I can't sort of remember what it was like. Before that, to be to be honest, a little bit because it just almost it opened us all up as individuals, and we performed really well, mm. and that just became our norm. You know what I mean? And it was all these positive thoughts, and you know, we had this positive affirmation about ourselves and the way we carried ourselves. That that's all we knew then. Mm. I don't know we didn't we didn't look at the negatives. We kept looking at the positives. Yeah, what do you think it is? Like you, you could you could refer it to like a school teacher that you've got a connection with, or you know, a general leader that makes you feel part of something and feel welcome. What was the real thing that drew you to the way that Paul was as an individual, but also uh, what he was able to do uh, from a team perspective? Um, I think I think it's respect is one thing that, yeah. and, and I'm yeah. You, know, you look through all the, the people that had big influences on your life, and you always respected them, and mm-hmm. and. Valued and trusted what they what what they said and knew they had um, your best interest or the best interest of you know the purpose of everyone was about. So I think I think that respect that he had and that honesty that you, you trust you trust that it was the the right plan and we're going in the right direction and mm. if and I think that's the biggest thing and and when you've got trust and respect in an organisation or a team. I think it's the most powerful thing you can have because yeah. regardless of whether your your game plan's right or wrong or the best or not, if you're pushing and rowing the boat in the right in the same direction, it generally becomes successful. Yeah, I agree absolutely, mate. It's interesting, obviously, that you got to that stage. Then, then Paul, I believed, uh, and through his wife Tammy, were able to come in and introduce uh, you know meditation practices, which was basically helping you manage your nervous system. That was yep. pretty pretty much embraced by by you guys as a leadership group to be able to sort of you know implement this as individuals, but also you know bring it across the board as a team. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then we like, we brought yoga in and we did yoga twice a week, and um, and, and I think that was again it was a safe environment. Um, always looking what's the best for the individual. It was never forced on someone to do, but. If you thought this was a, a good practice for you as an individual, yeah, he's, we, we will provide this for you. If, you. if you're not, that's okay. If it was something else that you that that, that you did, if there's other forms of you know meditation, like meditation, and can come in in various forms, yeah. um, you, you do that. So I think that's that was the environment that was created. It was safe and it was tailored to individual needs, not a, a one thing that. You know, covers all, but yeah, yeah, yeah that, that was obviously on the forefront of, of you know, especially in the AFL industry. No, no one was really doing it. No one was doing yoga or or meditation or anything like that. So I think we were on the forefront in that part. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, mate. It it was good to see because there was obviously a, a payoff from that, and you got to a premiership in two thousand and five, and um, I'd just be interested to sort of hear what that was like, and obviously how that all come together because. The way it was embraced by the the South Melbourne supporters and the Sydney supporters, but also um, just being able to make that achievement was was so profound. Not for you guys as individuals, but also for a much a, a much broader 
um, you know, demographic um, and throughout the communities in Victoria and, and, and New South Wales as well. Yeah, definitely. And uh, the, the impact it had, like we as a playing group and even as a, as a club, we didn't think it would have as much impact on our supporters, um, especially the traditional South Melbourne supporters who've been following the club for, you know, 50, 60 years. Mm-hmm. And when we had some of these, you know, diehard supporters of every game and when they said to you, we thought we'd never see this in our lifetime, mm-hmm. you know, that was really touching. It was going, geez, well, I can't believe for us winning would affect so many people such a positive frame. Mm. Um, you sort of think as a player, oh, yeah, we've achieved our goal, we've won the premiership, how good are we? This is all about us. But the impact was huge. And then the impact it had here in New South Wales, the, you know, first time it's the, the Sydney team had won it, mm. it just it was just huge. I remember we had a, um, a grand, you know, a parade. They organised a, a celebration parade down George Street in Sydney uh, after we won. And what? A few days earlier, you know, you did the grand final parade in, in Melbourne and it's huge and you go, oh, this is huge. You know, hundreds of thousands of people in the Melbourne city show. We had this, had to, they organised one for us winning and we thought, oh, yeah, there might be a few people at George Street, Sydney, you know, they, they won't really, really matter. And it was as big as the Melbourne one and it was people hanging and we, it just knocked us over. Like We didn't yeah. realise how big impact it had up here. And then from then it just exploded, you know, junior football and recognition and, and I think it was that catalyst that really made AFL kick off here in New South Wales. Mm, mate, unbelievable to be to be part of something like that, um, you know, in its essence. But but you see the undercurrent here of the, the people from the Croyts of the world and, and um, you know, places like that that have, like, been attached to a club like South Melbourne or, you know, uh, they, they've had, like, a real connection with... Um, with a, with a with a group or a sporting organisation, and for that to happen would have brought them a lot of joy, you know, which is priceless. Yeah, definitely, it totally is, and I said, and I think as the Sydney Swans, we were pretty fortunate as a club that we had such a good Melbourne supporter base from the South Melbourne days. Every time we went down to Melbourne, we got so much support. Like we'd rival some of the local Melbourne teams in the amount of supporters we had at games. Mm. Um, so I think we we're really privileged to be able to provide so much joy for, you know, not just all the New South Welshmen, but for all the traditional South Melbourne supporters. Yeah, yeah, really good to hear, mate. Um, it's interesting. Um, we'll talk about what happened when you were sort of going to go back to Melbourne soon, but you were able to develop uh, a pretty high level of self-discipline and you kept yourself in, in really good nick, I, I remember. Um, what were some of the things that you did? You, you basically just did a bit extra than what was required with you on the track, or did you have any other tools that... Uh, that might have helped that. Yeah, look, I just, I just said, I just really valued and appreciated, you know, the opportunity I had and, and the job I had, and I just wanted, I just wanted to be the best and get the best out of myself. So I did, mm. I did the program and then more and mm. then more and then I'd always look for different advantages and what could I do that other people weren't doing. So. You know, I used to ride my bike to training every day, yeah. um, and then I was really big into my nutrition, and and that evolved over my career. Um, yeah, always doing extras. And my theory was, if I could, if you, if you treated your body well and you got yourself super fit, it would look after you, and it would be able to withstand the rigors of a full season. Mm. It's a super combative sport. Like it's one of the most physical sports. I think going around in terms of pretty much ten months of the year, you're giving, you're thrashing your body. It's 
you know, it's speed, it's endurance, it's strength, it's you know, it's collision, it's the, the whole lot. So, mm. if if you're underdone, it's not your body won't be able to withstand the the rigors of it. So I always made sure I did everything right so I could perform because I loved playing. I just I hated yeah. I hated to miss a game, and I was pretty fortunate not to have too many injuries and didn't miss many games in my whole career. Mm. But I just loved playing, and it's just something that. I enjoy it, I had passion for it, I enjoyed it, so I made sure I got the best out of it. You wanted to get to give yourself every chance. Was it hard for you to slow down? Like, uh, you, you obviously, like, you love to use your body. Was it hard for you to sit still to do yoga and meditation? No, no, because no, it was when you got a purpose for what you're doing and knew what that purpose was, yeah. you. you uh, you're fully involved and you're 100% committed to it. So if that's what it was and that's the process, well, yeah, do it. You know, any recovery, yeah, do it properly, do it how it's meant to be. So it's probably more that if you're going to do something, do it properly and then I'd probably find out, okay, how can I do that better? Mm. So that, that, that was my mindset set about it. I was sort of, I was probably never content with where, where I got. I always wanted to, how do I get better? How do I get mm. better? So always... Yeah, always looking for that perfection that's never there. But I think think doing that kept me hungry, kept 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 the drive going. Yeah, mate, really, really good to hear. Um, because it was explained to you well, that that's the key. You know, we're doing this because it's going to give our mind a rest, or we're actually not going to be like looking to you know astral travel up to other planets. We're actually going to like slow down and just just you know give our give our bodies and our minds a rest because when when our mind settles our body follows that and then our body can recover quicker and you know the the whole process of um of getting up for games you know has improved significantly and um you know we just don't really value still in modern society um you know what we can do to actually help our nervous systems you know be more functional and if we're able to do that then i suppose getting through things like um you know pandemics and all the things around that can be a little bit more easily um um seen for what they are and uh, and and processed i suppose without sort of getting too swept up in fear and all those sorts of things yeah it's, it's totally and, and now what i know now like it's amazing when when you're young and you, uh, you know early 20s and people tell you about this stuff but now like you know i'm 40 that all got this life experience and uh, yeah you, you understand that and you understand that it's, it's actually important sometimes to switch off and not look at a phone and not talk to someone and have 15 minutes of just pure silence just sitting there mm. you know it might be a, a dedicated meditation session but just let everything just calm and just listen and what it does for you um you know you, you, sometimes you that wisdom you just can't buy it or that experience and it's it's how, how do you pass that that knowledge on or and it's probably gets back to you know if you if, as a coach or a leader that if you do create safe environments and let people explore that and give them time to discover for themselves um then then they find out what works for them and they find out yeah hey there is benefit for it so i I'm a big believer of letting people discover and learn rather than tell, tell, tell. Yes, follow it. Uh, it is in everyone's individual, as, as you mentioned, but it's interesting. I'll share something with you. Uh, this morning I was up at like quarter past four. I sat in meditation for a while. Uh, it was probably about 50 minutes, and my intention was to go for a run after that, but I felt so like just in this, in this complete state of relaxation that I went back to bed for an hour and that that hour, mate, I got more more benefit from that rest period than what I would have from eight hours sleep, you know, because yeah. everything was settled, and I just felt my body after that period was so 
like uh, well well charged, like everything had actually like had time to heal and recover, and you know we just don't don't uh, we're always looking like uh, these these people come to me they're using a foam roller all the time to aggravate you know something that if you just give your body a chance to heal itself, it's amazing what it can actually do. Yeah, and and that's that's something I did have to learn to do more. I was always a trainer, like yeah, move my body all the time, do all that stuff, oh, mm. and I was one. That, I always had to get pulled back as, hey, just slow down a bit. So, so that is something I did have to learn. And as I got older and more experienced, I did discover the value of just, hey, just just rest and listen to your body sometimes. More is not always better. Mm. Um, but I was pretty lucky with the, the high-performance team that I had at Sydney that they trusted me and I had open, honest conversations with them and they'd let me do stuff that probably they wouldn't let other players because that trust I built with them and knowing my body and knew I could maybe push it, could handle a little bit more workload. But again, then they could come, they would come to me and say, hey, look, Ryan, I think it's time that, hey, just go have a day or two off. Just don't even come near the club. Just give yourself total rest and stuff like that. So mm. it is about listening and, and working and learning. And I, th- I think everything's constantly evolving. And even now, I'm still very active and, train nearly train every day um about still listen to your body it's it's different now at, at 40 and it was at 30 there was at 20 sort of thing so yeah. Yeah, i think that's a big thing people just do hey, be quiet calm and listen to yourself and listen to your body yeah it's incredible the potential that we actually have you know we, we can still be doing things really well athletically 50 and beyond but also you know we are our, our awareness um, you know, changes as we get older, so not to be able to be stuck in the old thinking patterns, to be able to embrace the evolution of, you know, uh, each decade that we have on, you know, in these bodies and be able to, you know, uh, be able to uh, work with that more functionally rather than sort of forcing against it. And it's interesting, you know, Trevor Hendy and I talk a bit and he, he came on for a podcast recently, but he, he got a better time in this four-hour in, in endurance Ironman race uh, at 52 than what he did when he was 21. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, you know, but what he does is he, he intermittent fasts now, so he won't he won't eat before you know he does an event. And back then he was having fifteen wheat bicks before he'd go and uh, you know uh, uh, you know sort of perform in an event sort of thing. But he knows now to listen to his body and and all that that energy that's been created from what he's consumed the day before. You know, I was able to sustain him through uh, through uh, the endurance um, practices that he needs to be able to perform at a high level. And he's not there to perform per se or when he's there for enjoyment but his body's actually you know uh, responding really well to uh you know giving it a rest and also you know being more intuitive rather than sort of forcing against what his body body's telling him i suppose so it's interesting yeah it is it's totally you know the way i am now like in terms of like, I'm, i've been like fully you know plant-based for five years now mm. and I, I was i still I was on that sort of um journey as a player like i slowly eliminated stuff but I wish I was that now, how I am now, back when I started. But it is part of part of life's journey. And as I mentioned before, like I, I'm massive into my cycling, still running, and you know, do a bit of bike racing and stuff. And I feel as good and as fit as I am now than than I was, you know, even when I was I was playing football. Even though it's a different fitness, but yeah, it's just one of those things you discover, listen, evolve, and and. And do stuff because you enjoy it, not because you want to as well. And probably a little bit about when you are a professional athlete, and that's what I sort of found different in sort of transitioning out of playing is now I do stuff because I want to and I enjoy it. 
it's, it's, it's not a job. It's not something oh, I have to. I've got to make sure. I, I feel guilty if I, if I don't get up and I don't train or don't do that weight test. And if mm. I if I miss something or do something else, that's okay. Cool. Or am I going to get up at four four thirty to go you know go do my training on the bike? It's because I want to, and I'm, yeah. it's not forced upon me. And it's it's amazing when you take those layers of pressure off off you. Sometimes you do perform better. It does probably come down to a mental thing. Yeah, agree, mate. Because uh, we can be our own worst enemies, and, and I was very much like that. You know, like having to do so much every certain day to try and keep getting better, and then I'd I'd be hard on myself because uh, you know I I could have done th- something better or whatever. And, you know, and always that self-critic will, will be around in the back of the mind. But if you can just let go of that and actually like enjoy what you're doing, uh, and uh, and actually be intuitive to what you what you feel like on that daily basis, then then that's that's tremendous. You know, um, and that's that's what Trev's done. You know, he's actually like uh, not forcing himself to uh, to get to a level. He's actually just doing what his body already knows, and he's just giving it time to. Um, um, to, to, to heal itself. It's interesting you've been plant-based. So I, I have for about 10 years and I went raw uh, food for a few years and, um, mate, I, I felt like oh, I was another person. It was just incredible, like the amount of lightness that I had and the mental clarity and all those sorts of things. And I was brought up, you know, bacon and eggs and pies and all those sorts of things. Yeah. Like, like most people from Western Victoria, like, you know, your dad's area yeah. and where I was from. So it took me a yeah. while to shake that. But once once that actually moved on, um, then, you know, I felt my body, I never had um, any soreness. I never had any aches and pains, any of the, the things showing up on my body. Um, the mental clarity was better. Um, you know, so there's, there's something in that, you know, it mightn't be for everyone, but certainly it worked for me. And it just happened naturally that I was living near an Ing- Ing- Ingham's chicken factory and I, I I observed how many chooks were going through there every day. I'm thinking I'm eating a lot, a lot of chicken breasts because I want to be fit, but I could see these birds that were being processed, you know, from birth to death in four or five weeks. I'm thinking that's going into my body and I didn't want that. So I cleaned it all up and started to eat more whole foods and um, uh, just going down the route of trying to get as organic as much as I possibly could. And the benefits, you know, were amazing. My body just loved it and still does, you know. So it's it's incredible how we sort of evolve uh, over the years. Yeah, and mine was purely performance-based. I remember sort of sitting there and I read something about um, European soccer players you know, they, they'd go vegetarian in the back end of the week before a game so they'd feel light and no bloating and sort of stuff. So I went, oh, okay. And that's how I sort of started with it. Was, it was a pure before. I, as I said, I was always trying to look for the better ways and how to do it. Mm. So I started that. For, you know, first I gave up the red meat and then I gave up chicken and then I gave up fish and then the last and then the last sort of three things I gave up was uh, yogurt, cheese, <laughs> yogurt, cheese and eggs. Yeah, yeah. And I got to that point and, I was, and, and when I did slowly give away these things. I felt good. I go, oh, yeah, I feel really good and feel light and stuff like that. And then, oh, the next thing, and okay, performance isn't dropping here. I'm feeling good. So as I said, I got to the last three things and I went, all right, I'm just going to go the whole hog now. Just get rid of it. Let's see how I go. Mm-hmm. And you're right. I haven't felt as good as I have ever had. Like, it's been amazing. No soreness, recover really well. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then, Again, you know, it's not it's not for everyone, but what what I found because I'm living it and and doing what I'm doing, um, people ask, well, oh, you know, I know you're plant based, and how do you do, how do you find, you know, where do you get your protein? And, uh, <laughs> yeah. I hear that question a million times, and yeah. oh, 
what about this and that? And I go, hey, look, this, I, I can only tell you what I've done in my experience and this is me. I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm still performing at a, a higher level and mm. this is what I've done and, you know, and, you know, do you know how to say, hey, just give, just try it. Like, first thing I'll say to people, give up berry. Do that, mm. that. Try that for a couple of weeks and see, see how you feel. If you feel good, well, yeah. you know, maybe experiment a bit longer and, and just by, you know, or pun the pun, organically, um, you know, living the life and people asking questions and just giving them a bit of advice, I've actually helped helped a lot of people and they've changed their lifestyle and changed yeah. their way. And probably a, a story close to me is my, my dad. So a couple of years ago, he had a stroke and he lives a pretty healthy, you know, rides his bike and he's still in, um, you know, manual labour and you know, eats reasonably well. Um, but, you know, yeah, obviously grew up on that Western, you know, farm diet, meat and tree veg. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he's sitting there and, he couldn't understand. He worked with all these guys that drank and smoked and, you know, ate pies and, you know, looked very unfit at, you know, at 30 and 40. And he just couldn't, he got really angry, just couldn't understand, you know, why, why has this happened to me? I'm pretty healthy and all this sort of stuff. Then he asked me, you know, asked me about you know, plant based and living my, my diet. And I sort of told him, so he goes, all right, he's, he's giving it a go. Now, He's been doing that now for a couple of years. Now, he used to have arthritis in the fingers and hands and his mm-hmm. hip was killing him. Mm-hmm. It's totally gone. He, he just can't believe it that <laughs> yeah. all those aches and pains he had has totally gone. He hasn't changed anything else by his diet. Mm-hmm. And um, he do manual labour now on these young guys and you'd think, oh, I'm going to be so sore when I get up in the morning. He gets up and he goes, I feel great. And so he's like, oh, I wish I did this years ago. So that's sort of something that... And all you can say is, well, this has just happened to me. This is how I feel. You know, you can mm. live and live it for your own experience. That's pretty good evidence, isn't it? You know, I, I went really deep uh, with it. I looked at, you know, the healthiest cultures around the world and what they were doing and how they were thriving and no mental illness and, uh, you know, no physical dramas. I was living till old ages. So I went on a real journey. I sort of travelled around the world. I went to, like, you know, I went to a, uh, some raw food festivals and so forth and I saw people... Uh, I really encourage you to check out Dr. Robert Lockhart. Like in his seventies, like walking a hundred meters on his hands, and um, you know just this abundance of energy. You know, the thing for me was with was was dairy, Ryan, as well, because like when I was running a lot, I always had mucus. But as soon as I gave away dairy, uh, within two days that was that was gone, uh, and then yep. you know I wasn't have to spit all the time and all that, and my body was just performing better, and I didn't have sinuses or. You know, the the blockage in the in the head wasn't there like it was previously and you know that was that was probably the best thing for me because we're always brought up to have drink big m's and um you know have milk all the time milk and cheese oh you got to have your calcium but you know the body i don't reckon actually needs milk from another animal like that no t- totally um and yeah it's, it's i think when you when you sort of go down that path and and for, as I said, for me, it started as, as performance-based and then you get more in it and you go, hang on, this is a lifestyle health um, benefit. And then you sort of drill down more and you, the environmental impact and, 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 you know, sustainability of food. And so you sort of see how big a benefit it has, not just for your own personal body, but, you know, on, on the planet. Mm. Oh, for sure. Well, if you think about it, like the, what was evolved for humans to, uh, to eat, it's, it's pure and natural, it's palatable to the eye. You know, to, to go and, like, you know, kill a beast and eat it, um, it's not palatable to do that, you know, primarily. So we're just doing what's intuitive to us uh, as humans. 
um, with regards to this. And, uh, you know, if we have to prepare something a certain way to eat it, it's foreign to the body and that takes hard work to digest. But if you can eat foods that digest, you know, quite easily and well, then the energy uh, to do that um, is there to also restore the body. And it's not actually like spending a lot of time to try and, you know, digest pork or red meat or whatever, which takes, you know, a long time. And it's, it's really hard to do, but it's never really spoken about if you've got, you know, something wrong with you. Uh, there's not much talk in the medical system about, you know, this sort of stuff. And I reckon if people are really curious and they're, they're, they're wanting to make changes in their life, if they've got, you know, issues with arthritis or aches and pains and things like that, maybe these sorts of options and alternatives could be worth exploring because it can actually give you an opportunity to self-heal. Oh, definitely, and I think I think our society is built on what's the cure rather than the prevention. And yeah. most, you know, ninety, but they ninety five percent of diseases are lifestyle diseases. Yeah. About you know, no movement, poor diet, stress, the, the the whole it can be so easily fixed and prescribed. And I think you know, not knocking our medical um, um, infrastructure, but. Yeah doctors and that aren't sort of trained in that sort of thing they're trained on you know what's mm. the best what's the best medicine or pill or something to yeah. to do this or how do you cut this out or whatever but the lifestyle um which is a holistic approach to it would you know promotes good immunity and look in, in a pandemic now you think about that like i think it's uh this is my personal opinion that it's affecting a lot of people because i think we've got an unhealthy society out there i think yeah. we've got poor immunity because it's a lot of lifestyle um issues and yep. and if you have have strong uh, positive lifestyle which is you know mental you know diet you know moving the body your immune system strong and then you deal with the elements and things that are out there in the world yes yeah absolutely mate well unhealthy people are good for the economy you know uh, at, the the, <laughs> at the end of the day so that's that's really what it comes down to so i had someone question me today about doing some work for them and they said oh, uh, have you got a site have you studied psychology and i said well yes i have but i studied positive psychology not clinical psychology so i'm not one to you know be reactive i'm one to be proactive so i want to help people um get guidance on things that can prevent ill health rather than wait for the outcome and then try and treat it you know i think we've got such a a topsy-turvy approach to the way that we see physical and mental well-being yeah yeah definitely um and i'm really big on you know promoting that that positive well-being inter interconnected with um the physical aspect and that's why i love cycling and cycling has mm. been you know, a big part of while I was playing, but when I retired as as a um, as a footballer, that's I went really to, that, that became my my you know my new vehicle, my new outlet, and my sport that I really took seriously. And mm. and the the community effect of just riding out with mates, um, having a conversation and talking about the, the amount of conversations I've had on a bike with the, with, with mates and other guys that I've only just known and helped deal with some of their mental issues and and problems it, it's been phenomenal and mm. and i call it i call it my mates this is the mental health machine let's get on that yes. let's get a ride and have a chat and talk and 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 it might you might think you could, there's something going on and then all of a sudden the conversation happens and then they you know i don't know it's something when you something when you're talking next to each other you're not actually looking at each other's eyes that people can sort of divulge and, and, and release and have things that they might be, you know, kept trapped inside to be able to talk about it. And they go, oh, thanks for that. And 
the positive effect it has is, is phenomenal. No doubt. I've had a couple of elite cyclists on this podcast and um, like I, I sort of, I've just bought myself a new bike. So I, I actually get out early in the morning usually and um, and, and do, do a few Ks or, you know, uh, but I, I liked running because it was cheap and I, you know, it didn't cost me anything. But uh, you know, having a bike and having the, uh, the, 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 the financial side of things, um, I've spent a fortune on bikes over the years, mind you, and, and preferred running. But now I actually really enjoy getting out there and um, uh, it's just a great sense of feeling free, mate. And that's what we're meant to be doing, isn't it? You know, like young guys, you spoke about being a young fella trying to ride while well, riding around on your bike and how much joy that brought you. That can still bring that um, you know, now if you actually like provide uh, yourself with an opportunity to do so. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's 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 great, and I've taken my bike around the world and done bike trips into the you know into Himalayas and the Camino Trail and all that stuff. It's I reckon one of the best ways to explore and get out and yeah, you're right, be free and mm. and just and discover the world and, and that, that's why I'm sort of. You know, happy now sort of seeing kids in this lockdown period we are yeah. um, doing that and just going oh I remember that as a kid and feeling free and learning what the world is and discovering and hanging out with my friends and stuff like that yeah, so that's, I think that, that's that's one positive thing I've seen from lockdown in Sydney anyway we got off track a bit um, after 2005 but not long after then mate you were looking to go back to Victoria and there was a few few talk uh, words about you going to Carlton and so forth um, that sort of obviously uh, settled down you decided to stay in Sydney did you find that knocked you around as an individual or you, you managed yourself pretty, pretty well through it yeah, it was a tough period because of the uncertainty. And back then, it was the original uh, trade clubs had to come to agreement. The player was sort of there as the, I don't know, as a, as a bit of a you know commodity. Yeah. And um, the clubs had to work out what we want this or work out what was best for the club, not for the player. And it was a pretty stressful time for me and my wife at that period because it was like, are we going? Are we staying? We're not quite sure. Yeah. A bit of uncertainty, but. I think once that, once it was settled and decision was made, and you go, okay, I've got some clarity on now where I'm going to be. Um, it was fine. Got back to business, and yeah, I went back to the back to the Swans, and I was like, yep, um, yeah, I'm here, and now I'm hundred, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm fully invested mm-hmm. here. And people who know me knew that, and they, they wasn't worried. And I had that conversation with Paul, and he, he understood, and I just, and that's when I sort of changed. My role as a player, I was sort of the playing that four, but I really wanted I wanted a new challenge, and mm. he saw that. I wanted to play as an inside mid, and and I've totally evolved and changed my game to give myself the challenge. Um, so yeah, once that happened, it was away we went. It was, it was yeah, it was all good again. So you 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 got obviously Paul left and John Lyon might come in, but you got to a flag in two thousand and twelve. Was that? Like was it's very hard to compare, but it would have been totally different than what it was the first time. Yeah, total, to, to, they're totally different. Um, obviously, the first one was such a big deal because it was the first you know premiership for Sydney and the, the first one in seventy two years, and it was like that um, overwhelming sense of oh we've finally done it. Where two thousand and twelve was with a, a fairly whole new playing group. There's only four of us that played in that first period that. Um, went over to 12 mm. and I was, I was a bit older I had a couple of kids so I, I looked at it in a more um, I appreciated a lot more um, I knew I knew what to be and been in a fair few finals campaigns and I said I really want to do it absorb this and enjoy this for what this is I know what it is um, and it was more 
it was more like a workmanlike final series. We knew what we wanted to do and we just executed it. And yeah, it was a it was a much more sort of planned, methodical, and well executed sort of um, final series. Um, and I just appreciated it a lot more. Uh, I don't know when you're a bit older, you know these things are hard to come by. The, the sense of achievement was fantastic. I got to enjoy it with my family. Yeah. Um, so I, I really, really enjoyed the twelve one. Oh, mate, it was amazing to watch, you know, through that, that process. And you talk about uh, the Sydney um, uh, or the South Melbourne supporters getting joy you know, initially and so forth. I barracked for the Bulldogs, and I have since I was four. <laughs> and I would never have thought that I would have seen them win a flag, you know. So uh, how much satisfaction that actually, like, gave me as an individual, but also those people well before us that um, had been... You know, knocking around the western suburbs and, um, you know, the School of Hard Knocks primarily with regards to their, their lifestyles, to be able to see that, you know, there's, there's so much more uh, of an impact than, than the playing group, I suppose, isn't it, at the end of the day? Yeah, and for a lot of people, their, their sporting club, whether it's AFL, NRL, you know, soccer, whatever it might be, that's their, that's their life, that's their, their religion. Like that, How their team goes on the weekend can determine what their mood is during the week. So they really live and breathe their, their sporting club. And, mm. um, and, and what I was sort of proud about um, was not, not that we won all the time, we always made finals, was that we knew that every time we played and our supporters really valued and loved that about us was they knew we gave 100%. If we won, lost, draw, it doesn't matter. They knew that what, when we went on there, we left everything out on the field. And I think that's something you could be proud of as a player and as a team. Well, I think, yeah, you, you wanted to, to play for each other. That was, that was uh, the, uh, that, that's what was evident. But uh, you also, you know, had good leaders that you were trying to, you know, perform a role for them. And, uh, you know, it was more of a collaborative thing. There was no individuals involved and, and there was a bit of a blood spirit, I think, behind all that from my observation, which was, you know, really powerful. And, um, you know, that, that can go into the workplace. It can go into, you know, other environments. If you've got like a, a you know, a journey going on together and you've got such a, a good collaboration as individuals, it doesn't matter whether you're playing at a high level like that or in, you know, a country town, it can just have a huge impact on, on your well-being inside and outside of, of the organisation. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah, t- totally agree. It's, it, it's, 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 if you're all on the same page and you're working together and you achieve something as a group and as a collective, it's so rewarding and it just has a positive um, effect on anyone that's associated in that organisation. So what would you say like to a young fellow that's listening to this or it might be someone that's older that's, you know, in a country town that's maybe feeling isolated that, you know, wants to try and find some direction what would be some of the things that they could do to, um, to you know, to, to, to have the courage to maybe go and uh, get involved with something, whether it be big or small, and try and find that connection? Um, I've always lived by just, just, just do it, just have a go. Like, um, you know, whatever, if you're thinking about, oh, you know, I might go and join that, that club or feel like going to do something just just go have a go don't don't have any regrets in life just you know i think everyone's worried about failing there's no such thing as failing it's about learning and experiencing and just just go for it that, that, that's what I, I, I say like if it doesn't turn out how you how you how you thought it might is that a big deal no you've learned something from it and you've You've actually given it a go. Not going to go down, put your head on the pillow and go. Oh, I should have, could have, yeah. maybe. Um, 
so yeah, I just say just just go for it. Don't be afraid to fail. I think fail is a massive, it's a massive part of your development and learning as a, as a person, especially if you're young. Like if, the amount of times I've failed and, and done stuff where I'm going, oh, that, sure, I won't do that again. But you, you learn from it, and you, you build up this, you know, this this database of experiences and everything like that. And that, that's something, you know, you'd rather you'd rather live, you know. A short period of time but you've lived life fully rather than live 100 years and you've had done nothing yeah yep i can go quickly but see ryan uh also every one of us are unique you know and we will sit on the fence and uh, with guys and we'll procrastinate a lot but we can add so much value to um to 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 a group or a club or whatever you know just be but by being able to find our purpose and that can make a huge difference you know and it, it sounds like you you obviously did with regards to the organisation that you're involved in, and that's really helped you as a as an individual. Um, so that that's probably helped you to where you are now. So the role that you're doing now, can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm, I'm involved in a couple of roles. I'm still I'm still involved in in footy. I I, um, I work with um, AFL New South Wales, and I head up the, like all the coaching education. All in that game development, and um, so you sort of giving back to community footy. So I'm still involved in footy in that regard, but then I'm also involved with a non-for-profit organisation called the Clara Foundation, and that's about you know providing um, you know um, life skills and employment and that for um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. So that's something I've been involved with them for the last 18 months, um, which is yeah again it's, a, it's another thing about sort of giving back and helping people overcome challenges um you know for, for them to dream big and have a purpose and, and just go for it so um that's something that you know from my experience to be able to pass that on to um any organization or any person i work with it's about you know just let's let's go for it you know be positive dream big and um have a go yeah yeah well said it, it certainly look you know, a lot of us in, in rural towns, um, you know, you do, as I said, feel isolated, like, like I, I mentioned before, at times. But, um, yeah, from, from what you're doing, that, that's a really, uh, a really heart-based role by the sounds of it, which you're actually trying to encourage people, you know, big or small, to be able to sort of make some achievements in their life which will help them be fulfilled. And let's face it, like a lot of people have had trauma in their lives that they get stuck in, you know, and... Um, particularly for the Indigenous culture, they've had uh, intergenerational trauma, which is, you know, very hard to heal sometimes. But if you can do things that actually help the individual uh, to to move forward, um, that can, you know, obviously help not only themselves, but so many people around them. And, um, you know, we've just got to try and embrace life as it is now as much as we possibly can. You know, what we're going through at the moment is difficult, yes, but I think it's also a tremendous opportunity to be able to like reset and um and you know look at what's most important in your life and then start to you know gear your life more to what you love rather than the things that are making you unhappy i suppose at the end of the day oh totally it's it's all about being grateful and being grateful for what you have um and the little things and you know for me this this period we've been in has been a great reset and be like okay what do i really appreciate what's what do i really need you know life has been simplified a fair bit uh, in this current climate and oh, i think it's good i think it's taken away a lot of the noise and a lot of the stuff that hey do we really need that in your life like have we got all this 
you know, this excess baggage that's just weighing us down. Do we really need all this? Yeah. Rather than what's important is, you know, is it your, your family? Is it, you know, is it your own health and, um, you know, looking after yourself? So to really simplify life and, and be grateful for the, for the little things, I think is really, really important. And people that are in isolated areas too, there's some, yeah, there is some things you can be very grateful about or, or appreciate and it'll be different for everyone. Um, I think that's a, it's a huge thing of uh, yeah, sort of being, you know, being positive in, in, in times when they can be a bit tough, being grateful for what you have. Yeah, that's true. And, yeah, we are. We are. Um, can, oh, you better go and give me a pat, mate. <laughs> oh, it's all right. <laughs> be grateful for the dog. But uh, at the end of the day, mate, uh, there's always something small and, and, and we're always conditioned to be bloody self-critical and judgmental of ourselves. But the small things, you know, like being able to, um, you know, just just do something kind for someone else is such a, a powerful thing, you know, to make a phone call, to, to make a kind gesture to someone can help lift you up. And these are the innate levels of, of human nature that we uh, that we we need to probably come back to because these are the the heart-based behaviors which can make us feel human again rather than being dominated by the lower levels of consciousness being you know fear shame guilt all those sorts of things which can control our lives at the end of the day yeah totally and it's amazing by just you know just ringing someone just go hey going what's going on and just having a you know just a bit of a, a, a chat and it might not be about anything it's specific you know it, it, it could be that one phone call when someone is struggling. They, they go, oh, they they open up to you, and they just needed to talk to someone about that. You just you just you just never know. And I think that's that's something that we've got to be really, you know, really mindful that as a as as humans we, we need that connection. And and for someone and people just want to know that someone out there is thinking about them or, or care or want to listen to them. Yeah, for sure. And that's there, mate. So the helps there. Um, you know, externally, but also they can reach out to me and I can put uh, people in, in contact with the right people that uh, might be able to help them locally, but also externally from the community. So, Ryan, um, I really am grateful for the chat, mate. I think we could have uh, kept going a lot more on various tangents there, but I think we'll have to have another one in the future, mate. So, um, appreciate it. Sounds time. good. Love to have another chat. Yeah, there's a lot of topics we could cover. Oh, for sure. So, uh, Go and enjoy uh, your family, mate, and um, yeah, we'll certainly uh, we'll certainly catch up down the track. Definitely. Thanks very much for having me. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks so much for joining in. Uh, yeah, we could have went uh, off on a lot of different angles there. Um, Ryan didn't even uh, we didn't even talk about his time uh, coaching with Adelaide or any of those sorts of things. But yeah, really amazing guy. Um, really self disciplined, and um, you know, there's lots we can learn from him uh, as an individual. Um, so yeah, look, I uh, really appreciate you um, yeah, yeah, listening into this one. Um, yeah, please uh, share it about if you, if you can. If you want to contact me, uh, support outbackmind.com.au, website outbackmind.com.au. Um, yeah, look, just appreciate your feedback. Uh, we certainly covered lots of areas there, plant-based diets, um, all sorts of things. So um, yeah, different, uh, different podcasts rather than just talking about an individual's journey. It's... Uh, Lots to learn in that particular conversation as well. So appreciate uh, you listening in. Uh, more podcasts uh, coming up pretty soon. So please keep tuning in, sharing with others. Cheers.